0: This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the Storytelling Podcast. Each week, you'll hear a portion of a work in progress, and have a chance to interact with the author and other readers on the author's blog, posing questions, answering questions from the author, and hopefully having a lot of fun. Are you ready? Let's begin. Liar's Quest, Episode One Dawn trickled over the rolling landscape of springtime fields and pastures surrounding Castle Fairhold. Mist billowed up from the streams and ponds that served the flocks and herds. In a sheltered dip in the landscape a muffled curse rang out from a pond ringed by berry brambles already thick with a haze of green leaves and tiny white flowers. Splashing and sputtering Ash slipped on the muddy bottom of the pond, still icy enough to be her sole domain for pre-dawn bathing. She struggled a few steps into shallower water and stood up again, steady on her feet now. Gritting her teeth, she bowed her head as the billows of mist parted enough to give her a good view of the thin linen shirt, slick to her chest with water, and the dreaded development made visible underneath. Traitor! "'Bad enough, her hips were widening, like a dagger-toothed flower trying to trap flies, "'and her bottom had curves that would get her accused of eating too many sweets, "'or worse, sitting down when she should be running errands. "'She was still the fastest messenger among all the castle servants. "'Now she had bumps on her chest. "'Tiny, but eventually they would grow. "'Bosoms! Why did she have to have bosoms?' Yes, she was fifteen, although she was thin enough to pass for a boy of twelve. She found little comfort in knowing most girls her age had bosoms, and proudly displayed them by the time they were fourteen. She didn't want bosoms. She didn't want anyone to guess yet, and not for years and years, that she wasn't a boy. A prudish boy, granted, who didn't strip naked with the other servant boys to dance in rain showers to wash— and preferred to swim by himself on hot summer afternoons, when the castle taskmaster was merciful and gave them freedom, and didn't sleep with the other boys in a pile with the castle dogs. The other boys her age had teased her about her prudish, prissy habits, until she earned the approval of the Seneschal and Chatelaine and other high-ranking servants, They stopped teasing when she was given jobs serving the nobility that required clean bodies and pleasant aroma and neat hair, jobs that came with privileges, such as eating in the kitchen while the food was still hot and fresh, and being chosen to accompany Lady Charlotte and Lady Beatrice on errands and even short journeys. Then Ash became very popular with the boys who wanted more in life than a bed in the hay and regular feeding and manual labor for the rest of their dull-brained lives. They traded help with more strenuous chores for lessons on grooming, speaking properly, and reading. Why did she have to start turning into a girl now? Lady Beatrice was a sharp-eyed creature, and she would notice the moment anything started blossoming under Ash's formal serving uniform. She had already commented that Ash's bottom had a little too much curve, and he— Needed to spend more time on his feet, running errands, rather than spending free time in the castle library. A bodice would tame her budding bosoms, but Ash didn't want to tame bosoms she wanted to do without. That did it. She needed to find something to flatten herself without looking like she was flattening herself. Leather or cloth? Who of the kinder upper servants could she trust to help her figure out the mechanics, of some kind of halter or harness. Should she go to Granny Flock's? If anyone in Castle Fairhold knew Ash was a girl, Granny was hopefully the only one. After all, she had been given charge of the orphans Lady Charlotte gathered up after the great flood that swept inland as far as Tippeseed, destroying eight villages. Granny had tended the twelve children, ranging from toddlers to five years old, who had clung together and refused to be separated. Ash was the only girl, as far as she knew. Then again, if she had managed to hide under boy clothes all these years, who was to say that some of the other orphans weren't also girls disguised as boys? Granny was nearly blind when Lady Charlotte set her up in the cottage on the other side of the cherry orchard and put her in charge of tending the orphans until they could report for service in the castle. But she was a clever old dame who never let her little pups, as she called the Twelve, get away with anything. If anyone could help Ash find a way to hide the changes in her body at this highly inconvenient time, surely Granny could? But would she? That was the crucial question. Ash shivered in the icy pond water as she ran through a list of other servants she could ask to help her. Who would laugh at the secret and agree to help her just for the fun of mischief? Who would be furious she had deceived them so long? And who would betray her and force her to wear skirts and learn sewing and limit her reading privileges? For some idiotic reason, Malchus, the castle scribe, thought girls couldn't handle anything more strenuous than herbology and poetry. Ash preferred history and legends and battle records and anatomical discussions to bolster her slowly growing repertoire of healing skills. She dreamed of traveling with Lord Dunstan when he headed out on the grand world-traveling adventure he had been planning since he was ten years old. Ash was quite sure she could be of great use to Dunstan, first as a healer, then helping him unravel magical riddles and stand up to illusions, should he encounter any bad-tempered enchanters or people or kingdoms under a magical curse, unless her body betrayed her further she was still agile and strong enough to scale crumbling fortress walls. She knew she could stand firm and stare down nightmare creatures with the boys training to be soldiers. Just one more year until Dunstan was old enough to leave Castle Fairhold with a proper retinue of servants to set up camp and forage and record his many heroic adventures. She had the skills to handle all those tasks. Plus, she had several elements to her benefit. When it came to winning the favor of the stray enchanter or fairy or talking animal, the most important being she was an orphan. There were other benefits to be gained by including her in an adventurous questing party. Not magical in themselves, but according to all the books of adventures she had read and the stories she had heard, some pieces of a person's past did seem to influence the chances of gaining magical help. However, she wasn't going to reveal them unless she absolutely had to. The first being, she was a girl in disguise. The second benefit came from, or at least she hoped it came from, a star-shaped birthmark in a rather embarrassing spot she could only see using a highly polished surface. She never would have found it in the first place, but the birthmark had an irritating tendency to glow silver at the dark of the moon and blue at the full moon. She had employed a silver plate, "'borrowed from the feasting hall when she was seven "'to finally discover the source of the light "'beaming from her backside. "'Ever since then, she made sure she slept alone "'and she wore trousers under her nightshirt. "'Just my wretched luck,' she told her budding bosoms "'as she splashed to the edge of the pond "'and a gap in the thick wall of berry brambles. "'The star will probably add a new color "'or grow brighter, what with all the changes in my flesh.' "'She sighed as she ducked through a gap.' paused to look around for any inconvenient watchers, then darted to a clump of bushes where she left her clean clothes and a scrap of toweling to dry herself. "'Forget the harness. I need to go on a quest of my own and find some charm to wrap a permanent illusion around myself. This simply will not do.' The sun had risen to a finger's width above the horizon by the time Ash finished drying and dressing. She wrung out the thin overshirt and short pants she bathed in, and shivered as a gust of chilly air penetrated the curtain of budding leaves and crooked branches. Thank Athiosius for a shorter winter than usual, and an unusually warm spring! She had been able to shift from midnight basin baths to washing in the pond a good three weeks earlier than usual this spring. Winters were especially unpleasant in the castle when too many of the inhabitants chose warmth over being able to breathe freely. Lady Charlotte, fortunately, valued Asha's sensitive nose and protected it. She regularly aided the elderly noblewoman in the still room, creating all sorts of potions and powders and salves for the benefit of the castle's population. When her duties kept her away from that olfactory refuge, Lady Charlotte supplied her with little spice balls to hang around her neck under her clothes. Still, the safe zone of air cleared by the spice balls shrank unbearably small as winter wore on and the gaps between laundry days grew longer. Her extremely sensitive nose and ears were another asset she held in reserve to earn a place in Dunstan's adventuring party when the day finally came. Ash hurried through the garden gate into the castle and waved morning greetings to the dozen or so servants she passed in the halls on her way to the robing room, where the other morning serving boys were changing into formal uniforms to serve the castle's family and high-ranking retainers and guests. Petrock and Arto were there ahead of her, grumbling about something. The older boy grinned and gestured her over. Help me with this wretched bow, will you, Ash? Guess who arrived after sundown? He waved the pea-green length of slippery cloth and nodded when Ash groaned. Lord Winston and his daughters... Lady Lena and Lady Lathia. He was Lady Charlotte's cousin, twice removed, and even though he had no castle or even a small estate of his own, insisted on retaining the heraldry of his ancestors. Meaning, in the endless rounds of castles belonging to his increasingly distant relations, all servants assigned to serve him and his daughters had to wear his colors. Hence the pea-green, frilly, floppy neckcloths. A few quick mental calculations startled Ash. Winston and his daughters had arrived an entire month earlier than usual. That meant yet another relative had died, and the descendants of that relative considered themselves distant enough from Winston to refuse to host him. That meant Winston would stay several days longer at each of the remaining relative's homes. Lady Charlotte would have to die to free Castle Fairhold of the visits, and that was too high a price to pay. While Lord Diggory's entire family were kind, generous, and reasonable people to serve, Lady Charlotte set the example for her family to follow. She encouraged all servants to learn to read, and supported sensible things like regular bathing and large quantities of vegetables and fruit, instead of diets consisting entirely of bread and meat. Some of Lady Charlotte's generation dared to criticize her when they came to visit, and saw the new-fangled innovations she and her son supported. Such mockery always died away when the semi-regular waves of diseases swept through the kingdom of Alfordia, and Castle Fairhold escaped the worst of the ravages. The inhabitants always had enough resources and healthy residents to send aid throughout the kingdom. For now, though, Lord Winston's disdain for his cousin's unhealthy passion for foreign philosophies, as he called them, Wasn't strong enough to keep him from visiting every year. Ash wondered how far the alarm had spread throughout the castle, and which servants were already begging Hazel, the local hedge witch, to make them ill so they could avoid encountering Winston and his younger daughter. He always insisted on having several Fairhold servants assigned to their sole service. Even more dire, he had an incredible memory for the servants who gained his attention and approval, and requested they be assigned to him each time. The chances of Ash having to wait on him or Lathia were far too high, since she would be among the first dozen or so servants to encounter them during their stay. She wished she had stayed longer in the pond, and froze herself badly enough to at least start sneezing and be excused from serving breakfast. "'Please, Athiosius,' she silently prayed, "'it's my birthday in three days. Fifteen is a magical number, and a turning point in a boy's or a girl's life.' Will I be granted a wish of some kind? Could I use that favor to protect us from trouble while these guests are here? The moment she made that wish prayer, Ash regretted it. She should really save her birthday wishes and whatever favor Athioshi granted orphans. Hazel and Friar Ipswich and Granny Fox had all, at one time or another, advised her to store up her blessings against the dreaded, tricky, disaster-poised-over-her-head seventeenth birthday. Two years was not nearly enough time to prepare. Her seventeenth birthday, and all the possible terrible fates that could befall her, as an orphan burdened with that inexplicable star, made it imperative that she go adventuring and seeking magic with Dunstan. Several traveling seers and portent readers had given her odd looks over the last several years when she encountered them while running errands or when they visited the castle, being noticed by people carrying magical gifts was not a comfortable fate. Ash worked to avoid being cornered by any of them. Even worse than having to serve Lord Winston or Lady Lathia was to hear whispered words of warning and omen, or worse, magical, incomprehensible instructions that had to be followed to the letter if she wanted to avoid a dread fate. That settled it. She needed to find some way to speed up Dunstan gaining permission to set out on his first adventure. Maybe she should spend more time in the castle library, researching spells that would be useful. First, she had to get through the breakfast service. Ash turned to the peg holding her uniform jacket and saw the dreaded pea-green cloth hanging on it. Well, maybe she would be lucky and be assigned to serve Lady Lena. She was interesting. She asked for what she wanted instead of expecting the servant assigned to her to know her thoughts, and she didn't pinch people under cover of the tablecloth, like Lathia. Even better, Lady Lena was a maiden warrior in training. Now that was an option Ash hadn't considered. Maybe she could ask Lena for advice on restraining her badly timed blossoming. Maiden warriors couldn't be inconvenienced by jiggling anatomy in battle. Maybe she could ask to join the maiden warriors? There were all her questing skills she could offer in service to her patron and the magical benefits of that dratted star, whatever it would do for her in the future. It hadn't revealed any magical qualities or benefits yet, other than disturbing her sleep. Ash hurried to help Petrock wind the neckcloth into place and produce the four perfectly even bows, then scrambled into her jacket and tied her equally wretched tie. She mentally compared her physique to what she had seen of Lady Lena the last time she had been in the castle. No, she didn't have the muscles or bone structure for a maiden warrior. And there were those huge battle-horses they rode, and those swords handed out to maiden warriors. Ash could swear they were twice the thickness and weight of the swords given to soldiers under command of Captain Reginald. How hard would she have to work, to be strong enough to lift one of those? forget about swinging it in battle. She had to face the painful, inconvenient truth that she was built more to be an acrobat and thief than a warrior astride a massive battle mount, or, drat it, give in and admit she was a maiden and endure lessons in singing and cooking and sewing and tending flowers and, yes, losing her reading privileges in the truly interesting parts of the library. Her depressing day and resulting tension increased, when the line of servants stepped into the dining-room with full platters and pitchers, and Ash got her first glimpse of the seating arrangements and the people filling those seats. Not only had Lord Winston and his daughters arrived late in the evening, but Lord Advocate Justiciar Camwell had come to visit Fairhold as well. It couldn't be time for the circuit court to take place again, could it? Was everyone arriving earlier than normal this season? How had he managed to enter— without waking the entire castle, demanding a welcome worthy of his status. Ash groaned when, after they had deposited their burdens on the serving tables, the larger boys pushed her forward ahead of them. She didn't blame them. Too much. Camwell claimed that book-learning and staying informed on events locally and around the Kingdom and the world was beneficial to all levels of society. However, Lord Diggory had remarked after one of the Justiciar's visits that servants who were too intelligent and observant ended up confiscated into Camwell's service. After that, the other young servants depended on Ash to guide them in being intelligent, but not too intelligent. Someone decided perhaps a year ago that keeping Ash at the head of the servants in the dining room and squarely in Camwell's view saved them all a lot of trouble. If she received the dragon's share of the questions, then she didn't have to advise anyone. She simply had to determine just how easily Camwell was impressed or irritated and stay in that safe zone. Simply. As if. On the positive side, facing Camwell's minor inquisition would keep her out of Lathea's reach. The odious girl found great amusement in pinching backside and legs and arms. No one dared yelp or flinch, or worse, be so startled they dropped something at the worst possible moment. On her last visit, she had taken up the even more odious trick of constantly dropping napkins and utensils to bring an unlucky servant within her reach. Lena constantly scolded her sister, but their father thought it was cute and declared that Lathea was showing great favor to the servants when she played with them. He grumbled when Lady Charlotte and Lady Beatrice told Lathia that was not ladylike behavior, and they didn't appreciate the servants getting jumpy when they were serving food. Winston thought that was amusing, and grumbled more when Lady Charlotte and Lord Diggory told him that was not. He always had hurt feelings when they insisted that such behavior was cruel to the servants. Winston insisted there was no such thing as being cruel to servants. Definitely. Ash would prefer another inquisition from Camwell than having to dodge Lathea's fingers and off-key giggles when she tried to serve porridge or stewed fruit. Or perhaps not. Ash caught whispers and heard chair legs scraping on flagstones as she finished her first round of the table with the porridge. She bobbled the tray of baked apples and nearly dropped it when she came around the table and discovered the change in seating. Lathia had moved her chair from the far end of the long table to sit next to Camwell. She fluttered her lashes at Ash as she stepped up to serve her on the Justiciar. Standing this close, Ash had a disquieting view of Lathia's bosom development, or rather, lack of it. She muffled a chuckle into a snort when she caught a glimpse of what had to be rolls of handkerchiefs and hosen, propping up and filling Lathia's bodice. Life was so unfair— Why did the girls who didn't want bosoms get them? And the girls who did want them were forced to employ badly done masquerades. Nimble fingers pinched her backside. Ash held on to the tray of apples and her voice and retreated. She would have enjoyed seeing the apples soak into Lathia's padding, but then everyone serving breakfast would be deprived of the treat of leftovers after the nobles had finished. Thanks to Lathia, Ash didn't hear clearly when Camwell asked her a question— she stammered, scrambling for an answer, and the portly justiciar was not impressed when she got it right. That wasn't quite fair, because how many others in that hall, including Lord Diggory, Lord Dunstan, and Lady Charlotte, could have worked those calculations in their heads and come up with the right answer, without using their fingers or making marks with a charcoal stick on the tablecloth? Finally, Friar Ipswich pronounced the morning blessing, and the family and their guests rose and departed. Ash and Petrock led the race to bring all the leftovers into the kitchen. Thanks to Camwell's presence, which the kitchen staff obviously hadn't been warned about, pickings were lean. Ash split an apple with Wynn and chewed slowly, savoring the spices and juice as they got to work. She headed out into the dining room to clear away the trenchers and pull the cloths off the table to haul to the laundry. Cheers rose from the kitchen. She hurtled down the hall back to the kitchen— to discover that Myrtle, the head woman, had flirted outrageously with Seneschal Gilbert to get him to open the larder and dole out a smoked sausage for everyone. Lady Charlotte never served sausages when the Justiciar came to visit, after the man had eaten himself into apoplexy over them. She feared one day he would demand to add Fern, the woman in charge of the smokehouse, to his staff. Then Fairhold would be deprived of her secret recipe sausages. "'Ash licked her fingers clean before hauling the tablecloths and napkins to the laundry. "'She didn't want to waste a drop of the spiced fat. "'After dropping her burden in the laundry, "'her next stop was at Lady Charlotte's study to receive the morning list of errands. "'She was distracted with trying to determine which spices had gone into this newest batch of sausages. "'Fern was constantly experimenting and never wrote anything down. "'A wise young servant curried favor with the higher-up servants.' If she could find the herbs and spices fern-favored out in the forest and countryside, she would earn grace against future mishaps, and if her body kept betraying her, she would need all the help she could procure from the head-servants in hiding her misfortune. A kitten mewed from behind the heavy oak door of the library. Ash stopped short in horror, instantly envisioning the vicious little creature shredding a precious book into bedding and wetting it. Yes, cats were useful in hunting vermin, but as far as Ash was concerned, they should stay in the shadows and middens with the vermin they hunted. She stomped up to the library door to push it open. The sooner she got the nasty little fur ball out of the library, the better. I win! Lathia leaped from the shadows, arms spread and glee twisting her pudgy face. Her head hit Ash just under the juncture of her ribs, tearing a yelp of dismay from her lungs. They went tumbling sideways, knocking over the lectern precariously piled with salters. Lathias squealed as a rain of dust and ragged bits of papyrus and wooden covers pelted them. One cover splintered and cut her cheek, and she wailed. It sounded far worse than the banshee howling that old peg-leg Rufus, the blacksmith, produced when he told ghost tales by the bonfires at Solstice and Equinox. "'What did you do that for, you pox of a ninny?' "'Ash coughed and spat to get the dust out of her mouth. "'She scowled at Lathia and crawled out of the girl's reach. "'Friar Ipswich was going to burst into tears "'when he saw the destruction of the Psalters. "'Come to think of it, Ash was angry, too. "'She had hoped to spend a few more hours in the scriptorium, "'helping to copy the Psalters into new parchment "'and preserve the old songs.' ipswich had even suggested that if ash's handwriting were clear and steady enough he might arrange for her to learn some basic illumination skills to decorate the manuscripts scribes earned quite good money and were given private quarters instead of having to share a bed or a pile of hay with three or four other people that possibility was now going up in dust with it went another avenue of escape from a life of drudgery and hard labor and the inevitable humiliation of unmasking which seemed to draw closer every time Ash checked her body's changes. And now we come to the end of Episode 1 of Liar's Quest. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you're curious to find out what happens next. What do you think is going to happen next, now that Lathia has knocked over Ash and they've made a mess in the library? If you'd like to discuss this episode, ask questions, pose comments, maybe make your vote for what you think is going to happen next, please visit my blog, Michelle Levine, L E V I G N E, dot blogspot.com. Also, I'd appreciate it if you would consider joining my Patreon group to help pay for the cost of uploading and distributing this podcast. This is the only commercial you will ever hear on this podcast. The Patreon group is simply Ye Old Dragons Library. I hope you had fun today, and I hope you're looking forward to the next episode next week. Thanks for coming.